Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're going to talk about classical, a note on classical liberalism. And this has been kind of, uh, this is my podcast at its finest, doing something for me that is really helpful. And people that are listening to the podcast, um, I'm just assuming, because nobody talks to me, but I'm assuming that it must be fun to watch the journey because as I recorded the previous podcast on um, on Marxism uh, and, and saying that um, you know Canada is not a Marxist state you can't credit Marxism for what's happening in Canada or in in um, some of the other countries that are sometimes called socialist um, or uh, democratic socialist countries. And uh, I, as I re-listened to that podcast, at the end of it, I thought I'm, I'm struggling for something. There's a third option that I'm missing here between like conservative politics and Marxist politics. There's a third way, there's one in between. And so I recorded after that, I realized, well, this is liberalism. This is what uh, Jordan Peterson would call classical liberalism. Uh, and this is actually what I would have called, I have a paper that was really central to me that I have did a podcast on, podcast series actually called um, Classical Liberalism, and I've preached on cl- classical liberalism. I know a fair bit about it. And I realized this is the third way between, you know, conservatism, maybe the Republican Party in the States, and Marxism. What's in between is liberalism. So this might be, you know, a no-brainer for you but for me that was kind of like the light went on for me because I realized that um, well I realized a few things one of them is that I realized that I have spent most of my life thinking of liberalism as the bad guy and in many ways it has been uh, I recorded um, wrote a paper and recorded on um, modernity and the roots of classical liberalism is my research paper you can find it online uh, kind of a cornerstone of my thinking is realizing these are enlightenment thoughts about humanism and about um, yeah humanism and and naturalism or or deism um, as a cornerstone of society. You can re- re- read the paper if you'd like. Uh, I'm just going to skim over it quick and do it in injustice. But coming out of the enlightenment, there's a certain way of thinking, and really this enlightenment way of thinking has its roots all the way back in Athens, Greece, and the thinking of, of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. And then as this thinking comes out of the enlightenment period in the 1700s, it then intersects with Christianity through Friedrich Schleiermacher and creates creates liberalism, creates something that, that we've tended to call liberalism, and, and sometimes today that we would prefer a different term perhaps um, but anyways that's Christian liberalism and I have when I understood what that was then I really understood the contemporary scene of theology or I, at least I felt like I did I felt like it turned the lights on to know what actually in big terms is happening today in theology and I very clearly chose my side I'm siding with the Word of God with revelation with older values and with the idea that God speaks and that God has revealed his will to us as as his people, as Christians. And against liberalism, this idea that um, 
the human soul is good uh, and that the proper study of man is man, as I think Heidegger or one of those German guys said. And this idea that we can build a society based exclusively on humanism and science and on reason. So, you know, I took my stand on that. But when you bring Marxism into the mix here, I realize, well, hold on a second. I would much rather live in a liberal state than in a Marxist state. Much rather. And then that pushed me to think, actually, hold on a second. There has been good stuff happening from liberalism. In fact, when you stop to think about it, and I've mentioned this before in podcasts and in classes I've taught, Christians aren't responsible for democracy. This is a liberal idea. This came from, from Plato. This came from the even Greek thinkers before him in Athens. Well, yeah, people before him in Athens started democracy uh, at around 550 BC, around the time that the Jews were just getting back from, uh, the Jewish people were getting back from the Babylonian captivity. The Ath Athen Athenian people were developing and working the kings out of democracy. And this whole thing, I mean, sometimes I have said, I've heard other Christians say, and I myself have said it, that, well, Christianity is responsible for all the progress that we have in Western society. I mean, that's not actually 100% true. I mean, Christianity, as a, Christianity had its day when the only voice in, in the West was the Christian religious conservative voice. And it wasn't really a good day. It wasn't. It didn't really go very well. Uh, I'm talking about the the Middle Ages. I mean, they had a lot of, of um, negative things to overcome as far as the fall of Rome and crop failures and everything like that. But then the High Middle Ages, they had wealth. They had um, society was was put back together. Uh, you had the the Renaissance period. Things were going well in a lot of ways. But what was really not going well was how the church was running things, uh, and so. And, and it became a much better situation when liberalism took the reins of society and we had liberal, secular democracies running things or perhaps, you know, a deistic sort of government running things. And realistically, it's not true, you know, so, what's really interesting is you'll have atheists that will say, well, atheism brought all the good in, we in the Western society, you know, women's rights and workers' rights and children's rights and, and all these things. And then you'll have Christians that'll say, well, it was, it was Christians that brought women's rights and the abolition of slavery and, and all these rights for and created Western democracy and Western society. And I think the true answer is it, it was an interplay of the, of the two. I think that's the best way to look at history is that we need each other. Liberalism and Christianity need each other. And this is something that I've been making my slow way around to realize because uh, I wasn't raised Mennonite, but as a teenager, in a, I found a lot of life in the Mennonite church and slowly as a young adult made my way around to becoming a pacifist and you know believing in a pacifist government. So if you're a pacifist, you believe that a Christian should not be in government. They shouldn't be a police officer. They shouldn't be uh, somebody in the army. They, many would say you, you shouldn't even vote, although uh, I haven't gone that direction. Not all pacifists believe you shouldn't vote. But if you're a pacifist, you're going to believe, 
if you think about it long enough, you're going to realize either you don't believe in any government, which is anarchism, which is nonsense and deplorable evil, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to know my personal opinion on it, or else you're going to say, well, if Christians aren't in government, who is? Do you want a different religion to be in government? Do you want to live under Islam? Do you want to live under Hinduism? Do you want to live under Shinto Buddhism? Well, no, we don't really want to live under a different religion. Okay, so you want some some form of a secular state. Okay, well, if you want a secular state, you're not going to find that in Christianity. There are no verses in scriptures that talk about how to run a secular state. There are no verses in scriptures that talk about how to create a democracy. There are no verses in scriptures that talk about the, the pitfalls of an oligarchy versus, um, you know, a republic versus well, oligarchy and republic. Are, anyways, to talk about you know, the different nuances of, of using a Senate versus, um, you know, elected official, how long should terms be, all these sorts of things that have been, that have been workshopped out uh, by liberalism and by, um, yeah, well, by the Enlightenment liberal sort of humanist system. Um, these ideas have been workshopped out since the early Athenians. And that's where we're going to figure out how to run a, a secular state. It's not Christianity. Christianity has no ammunition to help. Um, it, it has no tools in its toolbox to figure out how to run a secular state. So if we want to live in a secular state, we need to go to Athens to figure out how to do that. And we need. I, I think we just need to be honest about the fact that if we want to live in a secular state, and if we want to have responsible governments to be in charge, that this isn't just going to happen. Uh, and in some sense, in our day, perhaps more than ever before, you and I are in the driver's seat of society, and we are figuring out what society is. And, and um, you know, through our, our Facebook participation and our Instagram participation and Twitter and whatever, and through the, the stuff we listen to, through the stuff that we teach and preach, we are creating the ideas of tomorrow and the, the future that we're going to move into. And we need to just be conscious of the fact that if we want to live in a secular democracy, that we're not going to find it in a page of scriptures. We're going to find that in Athens, Greece. And in this, this heritage and lineage of humanist thought of liberal thought that that stretches all the way back there and goes through the enlightenment and then comes into today and you know with that you, you know along with that it's not purely good it's not purely bad it's it's a thought system and fortunately you know i've already looked at the bad of liberalism and i know that it can be bad i know it, it can corrupt the church it can corrupt christian doctrine so we need to know what christian doctrine is we need to know how Enlightenment thought can create liberalism as it impacts Christianity. Um, but we need to give credit where credit is due. And the reality is that in this tension between Christianity and liberalism, this is what has created West, the West. Um, and I started to say before that Christianity needs liberalism. Well, liberalism needs Christianity as well. It's impossible to have a truly liberal state, a truly secular state, because you need to have like the secular state is based upon the value of the human soul. But the great irony of this, it's based on humanism, that humans are intrinsically good, intrinsically important. But if you approach the human race from a naturalistic perspective, from an atheistic perspective to say there is no God, there is no higher moral order, when you die, you die, 
then you're going to come to the conclusion very quickly that human beings are just animals. And if they're just animals, then I don't see any reason at all why we should value them or why we should build all of society around them. Maybe we should build it around the animal kingdom. Maybe we should, which, you know, I've got a podcast a while back talking about animal rights and the fact that when you devalue humans, you're going to elevate animal rights. And this is just, it's inevitable because that's, anyways, you can listen to that podcast if you'd like. But liberalism needs Christianity to create an anchor point for human dignity because for Christians, humans are made in the image of God. And so we're not just animals. We are divine. We, are, we have the spark of divinity within us. We have, there is a moral worth attached to the life of a human being that an animal does not have. You can, you can raise animals, you can capture animals, you can breed animals, you can you know, keep them penned up you know, in, in good conditions, ideally, and you can kill them and eat them, and that's fine because they're animals, but you can't do any of those things to humans because they're humans. And if, and there's a temptation to do those sorts of things to humans because it makes life more convenient for some of the other humans, especially putting them down or killing them when their, their lives become inconvenient to the greater good of society or what somebody perceives as the greater good of society. And liberalism will steer towards tyranny and, um, and all sorts of social abuses if or, or crimes against humanity if it becomes unhinged from the central idea that human beings are valuable and are worthwhile and um, have the ultimate moral dignity attached to them that you can't just kill a human or do whatever you want with a human and and so there again like liberalism is founded on humanism but it can't ever get away from having a christian underpinning as well, so that's human rights. The other thing is morality. That there, you know, liberalism will say you you ought to be a good person because that's what it means to be a human. Well, what does that? That's a nonsensical term for one thing. What it means to be a human, or what it means to be humane, if humans are just animals, uh, and clearly human ethics need to be better than animal ethics. But also. Because there needs to be some overarching system of right and wrong. There needs to be some way of grounding morality. And this is something called the moral argument that it is very clear that there is something, there is a higher moral system. We all agree with this. We all identify with this. And you can't argue against this without showing yourself, without showing that you... you without proving that you actually assert, assent to the fact that there is a higher moral standard. Because as soon as you say, well, there is no higher standard, you're going to say something like, and nobody should tell anybody what to do. Well, what do you mean by should? What do you mean by that? You mean that there is some sense of higher moral duties and that um, nobody should, should transgress against that. So again, that's the moral argument. You can look into that online. Um, but the point is that Christianity serves liberalism, again, by providing an anchor point for morality. And this is why, you know, liberal democracies for the past, you know, 300 years have always had some vague notion of God. And the, the political leaders will, you know, start their addresses by saying, you know, um, 
that we have certain un- unalienable rights or that all men are equal in the sight of God or that God has to play some role in that to ground their ethical system, to ground their moral system. Because without some way of grounding ethics and morality in a higher system, um, liberalism becomes self-referential and degenerates into, into disorder and chaos. You need some higher standard. The problem with that is how do we agree on which standard, which is why liberal democracies have compromised by kind of aiming towards a, a, a deistic version of God that includes the Jewish, the, the Protestant, and the Catholic idea of God. And I have a, a blog post called, um, a long title, it was something like how how pluralism calls the bluff of liberalism forcing it to become either uh, just look, just do a search on my blog for how uh, pluralism calls the bluff of liberalism, and you'll find it there. But um, this is not entirely tenable now in the new situation where we have many different religions coming in, which is why I think liberals are so adamant that all religions are the same. And I think this is kind of a desperate, um, hopeful plea. I, pl- I sure hope they're all the same because otherwise our, our society is going to fall apart because we need them all to be the same because we need some sort of an anchor point for morality. And if all religions are the same, then we can say, okay, that's the anchor point is all religions tell us to be a good person. So we might disagree on what it means to be a good person, but we all agree that we should be a good person. Uh, and so that's, you know, we need each other. Christianity and liberalism, or religion and liberalism, we need each other, but there is tension points, and one of the tensions is which religion, and how how exactly is this going to work? But the point being that throughout these long three centuries, when so much good has happened in the West, uh, and through the West has happened to to the rest of the world, and this benefit has happened through the interplay, which, you know, has been long and a difficult, tumultuous journey, but the interplay between liberalism and and Christianity or religion. But but it has been through Christianity and liberalism. That's Those have been the two options. It has not been... Marxism can't claim any role in this, as far as I can see, because the foundations were all laid before Marx even was born. And because Marxism was resisted by the countries that did the most progress in the 20th century. And so Marxism gets credit sometimes when it doesn't deserve it, as far as I can see, as far as, as what I see in, in, um, in my study of history, that what I see is happening, so we'll come back to where I started, is that sometimes you, people will look at a country like Canada and say, well, that's a... Uh, socialist democracy. Why? Because they have free health care, because they have high taxation, because they have a lot of government services. That, as far as I'm concerned, is not a Marxist system. This is a liberal system. And this is, as Christianity and liberalism have gone back and forth, back and forth, in some countries, Christianity has gained the upper hand, and along with that, perhaps a more conservative voice has gained the upper hand and the country has kind of gone that way. But it's still been an interplay between liberalism and Christianity. And that might be, I mean, the poster child for that might be the United States. And in some countries, liberalism has gained the upper hand. And 
they have steered more that direction. In some countries, Christianity has been completely removed from the equation, such as France, for example. You know, it was explicitly removed from the equation during the French Revolution. And um, in some of the Scandinavian countries and then in, in a lot of Europe, Christianity has just been has been socially removed from the equation. It hasn't been any sort of bloody revolution. It's just been, we don't, we're not interested in religion. We only want a secular state. And so what I see is happening is that in this interplay between Christianity and liberalism, in some places it has swung radically liberal. And so we, what we have is the outworking of Plato's ideals that, you know, Plato um, was writing in ancient Athens Greece, uh, in the city that was was workshopping out what democracy was going to look like. Uh, he came in upon a scene of democracy that had started about 50 years before him, I believe, maybe 100 years, not very long. And he, as a philosopher, as a writer, wrote uh, the book The Republic about what democracy should look like. And that's not the only book on the, on the situation, that's not the only... Uh, part of the story is just one part of the long journey that democracy sounds simple, but it's a very complex thing to, to work out successfully But uh, it just happens to be the one book that I've read on the subject and in Plato's Republic what I'm seeing in, in what he's he's saying this is what we should aim for I see this is what we have in Canada This is what we have or, or we have it close to this in uh, a lot of Europe and the Scandinavian countries, which is a very large government, um, which takes care of its citizens. Uh, Plato talked about uh, universal childcare so that the woman would be freed to work. He talked about um, excluding the very rich people from society so that they don't take over society. Uh, he talked about um, that everybody should, should take turns uh, participating in government, uh, certainly that, that we should elect our leaders and just and, and that the government should have a certain amount of control over even things like music and the arts, which um, we see our government moving more that direction, uh, which is a very troubling. I don't think that was the that wasn't the bright point of the republic. I felt very uneasy and disappointed when I read that sort of stuff. But it's part of of classical liberalism is that the government's going to control the society so that we can have so that everybody can be the happiest that we can be. And um, that's what I'm seeing. This isn't Marxism. This is classical liberalism lived out. And, you know, to, there's a good side of this and a bad side of this. The good side of this is that uh, there's going to be um, more rights for women, more rights for families, more rights for children, more rights and, and um, more things given to the poorest members of society. Uh, society is going to run more as a cohesive whole, ideally. Uh, there's going to be a higher quality of life for people on the low end of, of society. The, the negative side of this, which as you look through history at ancient Greece and ancient Rome, there's certain ways that liberal democracies have always gone wrong. And so I think we can expect to see the same thing. And I think in some ways we are seeing the same thing in, in broad strokes. Um, Liberalism without a Christian mooring, without some sort of religious mooring, leads to a moral decay, leads to a fragmentation of truth, it leads to corruption, 
because there's always going to be somebody in charge. And if you're not giving them a compelling story of why they should choose the good, they're not going to choose the good. And uh, I think that we're seeing some of these things in some of these liberal states, including Canada. But again, I don't see these as, well, two main points. One, I don't see these as Marxist states. These are liberal states that are living out the ideals that are as old as 500 BC that are laid out in Plato's Republic and in other places. That's what we're seeing. It's not Marxism, it's liberalism. And secondly, liberalism, as much as it has its dark side, liberalism is desirable, even for Christians. I think that we need to look at liberalism and say, this is a good thing. And I'm going to fight you to the death on certain issues. Not to the death. That's Let's not overstate the case and let's not insinuate violence because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christians entering into the arena and contending with liberalism because in that contention has been that the sparks flying off of that have lit the fires of, of Western democracy. And so Christians will always need to contend with liberalism, but this is a good thing. So I don't see Canada and um, the other European countries as socialists because but I see them leaning and going that direction. And that's what really concerns me. The things that, that concern me is when I start to see people assigning moral guilt to wealth. Um, it's, I used to think that only Christians cared about moral guilt. It's not true. Everybody cares about moral guilt. And you'll never see that more truly than if we have a conversation about what the, the church should do or shouldn't have done. You'll, you'll quickly see that, well, the church shouldn't have done this or this leader shouldn't have done that. Well, what do you mean by should? It means that I care about morality. It means that I care about what's right and wrong. And when we're assigning moral guilt to wealth, somebody that's rich, Bill Gates is evil just because he's rich. That's, that's a Marxist idea. That comes from Rousseau. That is a dangerous idea that I oppose, that I resist. We ought not assign moral guilt to wealth. And I, I've seen this recently in Canadian politics and in discussions online, and it, it concerns me greatly. Um, and when, you know, it's it's fine to have graduated taxation. Uh, I think this fits with classical liberalism. I think it makes sense to tax the rich people a little bit more because they can afford it, because presumably they, they need less of their money to live on. Then, And you don't want the, the poorest people of society carrying a heavy burden of, of uh, taxation because then it's going to become a game that becomes unplayable for some members of society. But when taxation gets to the point where the very rich have, you know, 50 to 70, up to even some countries have 100% taxation after a certain point, you're going to lead to a place where um, the rich just simply say, I'm not going to play this game, and they want to leave. Which is why only flirting with Marxism doesn't work because Marxism only works if everybody plays the game. And in order for everybody to play the game, you're going to have to close the borders so that the rich people don't leave and take their money with them. And so, you know, the first step is assigning moral guilt to wealthy people. The second step is taxing them or trying to take it away from them. And the third step is, no, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right here and we're going to take your money and you're going to go work in a factory or else you're going to go to a gulag. That, um, you know, maybe I don't see that step coming soon, 
but it happened in Russia and nobody saw it coming. And it leads towards uh, a spying on the population because we need to make sure that everybody's playing the game. If everybody's not playing the game, if somebody is going to leave and take their money and resources with them, then everybody loses. And certainly communist states have um, taken spying and taken technology to the next level. Um, and I find this very disturbing how much information we give, the, we give somebody through social media and through our cell phones uh, and different devices. Just a whole other topic. And it leads towards tight control on elections because, and other forms of power because communism only works if it's pressed on society because it's a game that not everybody wants to play, but it only works if everybody's playing. Well, it doesn't work, but the, 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 the story is that the reason it's not working is because not everybody is playing. Not everybody is sharing their resources. And so I, I don't see our country as being a Marxist state because we're not yet assigning moral guilt to wealth. We're not yet closing our borders to keep rich people from leaving. We're not yet, as far as I know, spying, spying on our population to the extent of if somebody is against the government, they're going to be punished for that. And um, as far as I can tell, we still have open and free elections, although, of course, you know, we would prefer that it was sometimes done differently than it is. So I don't give Karl Marx any credit for Canada, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest country on earth that has really great, a great social network, that has a great safety net, that gives a lot of help to young mothers, that gives a lot of help to young families, that um, gives very competitive rates for education that gives great services, you know, libraries and, and, um, and healthcare that could be improved, but uh, a young family such as mine with five kids, um, I can know that if one of my kids gets sick, really sick, like if one of my kids, you know, has, has a huge illness, I'm going to be taken care of. And that's not something that um, needs to terrify me. And that's because of liberalism. It's not because of Marxism. And so um, I hope that I've made myself clear. Um, and I'm going to move on now to the last podcast, which is social Marxism.